Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Greetings, or may I say, Vojo and Potawatomi, to those joining us for today's Indigenous Perspective show. I'm Randy Kwiatkowski, an enrolled Potawatomi tribal member and the co-host of Indigenous Perspectives. Our program today is titled, A New Drumbeat for Indigenous Artists. Indigenous Perspectives originates from Vermont in the United States. Vermont is located on lands that the Abenaki people call Indakina. It's the unceded traditional territory of the Abenaki people who for thousands of years have been and continue to be stewards of the lands found here and across the border in Quebec province in Canada. We welcome our two guests from the indigenous art world today. Lori Beavis is the executive director of Daphne Arts Center in Montreal. Lori has mixed indigenous settler heritage on her maternal side, she is Michisagi, Anishinaabe, and Welch. Her paternal family is Irish-British. And Michelle Sound, a visual artist, is a member of the Swan River First Nation, a Cree nation whose territories are in the Canadian province of Alberta. Lori joins us today from Montreal, and Michelle joins us from the Vancouver area in British Columbia. For listeners who would like to see the artwork we will be talking about, you can find a link at randykwitkowski.com, Randy's author website. So each of you represents a, a new drumbeat, new paths for indigenous artists. One of you is an artist and the other is a gallery manager. Can you describe your paths, how you met, how you're collaborating now? Well, I I had um, applied to Daphne. I had heard there was a new um, Indigenous Artist Run Center, which was very exciting. Um, and so I submitted my artwork to be included in hopefully an exhibition there, because um, you know that's such an amazing new um, space to have. An Indigenous-led Artist Run Center is so awesome. There's very few in Canada. Um, and then, yeah, I was contacted by Lori and offered um, an exhibition there, which was amazing. So um, it's currently up at Daphne right now. And yeah, it's been really great working with um, Lori, you know, through so many emails. We've never met in person yet. So Zoom and emails. So yeah, it's been a really great experience. So Lori, what's what's your path to the position you're in now? Uh, well, I've um, I 
started out my life as an art historian, and I've be, also been an art educator, and I've uh, done, um, I've, about 10 years ago, I started doing curatorial, independent curatorial work, freelance, and um, and then when uh, Daphne uh, advertised a job as, a, as the director, and I've always been involved with artist-run centers as well, and through the arts all through my life, and um, I applied, and um, it was a lovely interview just the day before the pandemic lockdown started in March 2020, and, uh, um, you know, it was it was great. I, I was hired, and uh, we just figured it all out and just figured it out from home, and uh, in um, in. May of 2021, we had at Daphne, we had our first exhibition. Um, so things were delayed and postponed for a really long time. But so I'm I'm here um, as the director of Daphne, and um, yes, as as Michelle said, we put out a call for uh, proposals in May last year, and for our first sort of to add to our first full year of programming that was already arranged, and um, everybody just fell in love with the idea of these amazing fur-covered, pastel-furred-covered drums and um, just thought, ah, it will look so great in our space, and it absolutely does. So it's it's a joy to come in every day and just see the, the rabbit fur feather, or rabbit fur sort of dancing a little bit in the in the heat vents from our, <laughs> through our gallery. So, Michelle, since, since um, our listeners aren't seeing... <laughs> um, you know, what Laurie's talking about, can you describe, um, and I, I know this is really an unfair thing to do to artists, you know, say, okay, you've, you've spent your life, you know, recent months making these works, now put it into words for a listener, but can, can you describe essentially what you put into the work and maybe even back up a little bit and explain, you know, how you got into the field of art and being an artist when that happened? For sure. Um, I guess it was, it must have been 22 years ago now that I started my undergrad degree um, and went into visual arts. I actually, it's funny when Lori said she's art historian, that was originally what I thought I wanted to do. And that's what I studied for two years was art history. Um, and then I started taking visual arts classes, um, like non-credit courses and realized that that was what I actually wanted to go into as art. I originally wasn't going to because I just thought you can't have a career or like a job as an artist. Um, but then I realized that's what I actually really wanted to do. So yeah, I um, started the visual arts program, which meant I ended up being in school for a very long time. But um, yeah, and then completed my degree. And then I um, had my son um, in 2007. And when he was two, as a single mom, I decided to go back to school and get my master's degree. I really wanted to um, recommit myself to um, my art practice. Because, you know, as a young mom, it's pretty hard to uh, to have the time to do it. And so I wanted to focus on it. Um, and then I started making drums. I learned how to make drums during my master's degree and elk hide and deer hide drums. And I would dye them and paint them. And I wanted to make a series that was about my Japan and my Kokum, So my um, great grandma and my grandma and about how they had a rabbit trap line, a rabbit snares. 
and how they used that to provide for their families, like the meat from the rabbits to eat, but then they also sold the rabbits fur um, or used the fur as a trim on moccasins that they would make. Just all the work that they did to provide for their family was just like so incredible to me. Um, you know, the resourcefulness and the hard work they did. So I did a series of drums uh, made out of rabbit fur and they're not playable. They don't make a sound. They, they don't have the elk hide behind them to make that drumming noise. So they're a visual arts piece. Um, and so I made a trap line and that's taking up the big wall in Daphne. Um, it's just, I actually don't even know how many drums are in that one. I think it's like 20, maybe 22 drums on the walls, um, of various sizes of rabbit for drums. So the smallest ones are eight inches and the largest are, I believe, 18 inches. Um, and the 18 inch drums are rabbit furs that have been sewn together. Uh, cause rabbits are not that big. <laughs> um, and so they're all pastel dyed and um, are a series about my Kokomo in Japan. And then another series there is called HBC Trap Line. And that was made in 2019. And it's four rabbit fur drums. And they're small. They're, um, I think those ones are 10 inches. And they're in the four colors of the HBC logo, the red, yellow, blue, and green. Um, and then there are four beaver pelts on the floor. And that piece was just um, acknowledging all the, you know, the hard work that Indigenous women um, contributed to the fur trade. So this was about like my, you know, distant ancestors, not distant, but, you know, further back ancestors that I didn't personally know who worked in the fur trade and, you know, did all the, the harvesting of the pelts and um, the tanning of them and just acknowledging the hard work that they did that is often not written about um, when talking about the fur trade. It's often described as just men working in the fur trade, um, but of women, Indigenous women did a lot of the work. Um, and then the four beaver pelts are like the idea of trading. The trade was roughly that four beaver pelts um, would equal one HBC blanket. And the HBC blanket started to replace um, traditional ways of um, of using blankets. Like, you know, for little kids or smaller blankets, rabbit furs were sewn together to make a blanket. But they started to be replaced by the HBC blanket. Okay, just to clarify, HBC, that's the Hudson Bay Company, a major economic oh. force in the... British-dominated settlement um, and expansion of the British in Canada westward. So, Laurie, as a as a gallery director, how do you help an artist tell their story, especially in this you know Zoom COVID era when you haven't met face to face and these things go <laughs> up? I mean, this is really quite an intriguing story going on behind the scenes here. Well, yeah, we, well, one of the things that we always, we, we, uh, we do, um, curate, no, we commission a, uh, a, an essay, um, either if, if, if the exhibition is curated by a curator, then the, 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 that person would write an essay to, to, you know, explore and examine, um, and explain the exhibition and the premise of why the work is together and that sort of thing. And in this case, um, 
I asked Michelle who who she would like to have write about her work, and uh, and we have a lovely essay that's also on our website uh, by Yaz Morgan, and um, it's it's delightful. It talks about because the exhibition is called um, "Aunties Do It Better" in English and in French, uh, "Les Tantes Sont Les Meilleurs," and um, and, I, and it's, we also have a Cree title, and I don't, I, I'm afraid I can't even attempt, but um, but it is on our website, and people will see. And we always also, just sort of as a side note, we always um, have Indigenous language in our in the in the in the exhibition in the space in some way, whether it's through a title or through uh, wall text or whatever. Um, so, so that's a that's a way for people to sort of have an under, to gather an understanding about what the exhibition is about. I, you know, whenever people come into the gallery, I always um, explain what we've got here and the show that we've got, and um, and you know, say you know, let me ask you or answer any questions for you or whatever. And uh, so, it's there's always a really nice, interesting dialogue, and that's very much a part of, you know. One of the reasons that Daphne came into existence as well is because it's, we were very interested in having people start to have conversations with one another and to dialogue and to talk about it so that people, because it's through talking with one another and it's, and through talking about art as well is also an extreme, extremely good way to, to sort of ask questions and listen to the answers and, and sort of come to an understanding about the histories that are hidden or the political and social issues that are that are people are as artists are talking about and that sort of thing. So it's so it's yeah, really I'm, I'm going to switch it here because I think you raised a really important point about political and social issues being intimately connected. Here's a quotation from the program, the write-up about Michelle's show. Quote Together, drums are a force to honor and venerate. Drums dominate you. The drums are beautiful but unplayable, as are the tough indigenous women who inspired Michelle's sound. End of quote. I thought that was a fabulous insight into a lot of the strength that is a key point of your message as I understand it. Um, so, Michelle, want to comment a bit on that, the strength of the women, the strength of the aunties? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love the essay that Yaz wrote um, for the exhibition. Just, I just, I've always loved their writing and just was so honored that they took the time and the care to write that um, great essay. And, you know, I just feel they captured so much of what I was trying to say. Cause, you know, as a visual artist, it, it's harder to translate, like, what your idea is into into words and it's great when a writer can do that for you and so with my work with um the four pieces that are in Daphne um and I call it aunties and I just mean it aunties to mean like all of them like one piece is about my mother and another piece like I said is my Japan and my Kukum and another one is about aunties and so just they are all aunties and so I just wanted to really um you know honor like the the amount of work and the unrecognized work that Indigenous women have always done and continue to do. Like, you know, our moms and our aunties always take care of us. And I was always raised being told, and I know, you know, a lot of other Indigenous people are told the same thing, that, you know, your aunties are your moms. So 
you have the same respect and um, love and care for your aunties as you do for your mother, and they have the same for you. Um, and that aunties extends beyond your biological family, right? Like, you have a community of aunties that take care of you. And sometimes you don't even find out till you're older that someone you've been calling auntie your whole life is actually not even related to you. But, you know, it's your mom's good friend or your mom's something. So I just really wanted to honor just, like, how much work and how much strength Indigenous women um, bring and provide for their families and our communities. So, Laurie, when, when you began to work on this project, did you imagine that this kind of storytelling about the social structure and culture of Indigenous people would be hanging on the wall and be so eloquent? Or, you know, has this been sort of a discovery process as you go along? Oh, no, I always knew that the work was going to be amazing and strong and and spoke to really important social issues. You know, I just and I think that one of the things that we've come come through and towards and, and I certainly in all of the exhibitions that I curate as an independent curator is that the, the, the underlying premise of it is always for people to represent themselves, for, for Indigenous people to talk about their own experience, because that is so often in the past people have been, you know, it's whether it's photographers came and traveled around the countries, our United States and Canada, and took photographs and, and positioned people in a certain way, or it was through Hollywood or, or whatever it was, and it just, it never people never had a chance to sort of, tell their own story and represent themselves in the way that they wanted to. And so it's, you know, it's think about Michelle's piece um, that is called, the, you know, the Antis piece. And, and there they are in all their glory and their leopard skin and their leather and their fringe. And, and you know, those, and it's, and my, my aunties didn't necessarily, you know, didn't necessarily wear a leopard print, but they, but they were strong women and they, they, you know, they, didn't they you know they they and they were always somebody to admire in you know in some way and they they there is a great strength there so so yeah i, I think it's it, it's it's the story that's on the wall is is well worth coming and looking at and you know and, and thinking about and i'd like to hear going further you on specific obstacles that indigenous indigenous artists have faced obviously you're working to overcome these and bring about more visibility and more credit but can you be specific about the kinds of things that each of you have encountered as indigenous artists and art supporters i think for me as a visual artist what has been the most difficult, because it's a daily thing, is that I do not have a studio space. Um, Vancouver is extremely expensive. I live in, you know, one of the most expensive cities in Canada. And um, I'm a single mom, and I don't have, you know, the extra, like, $400 a month that sharing a studio would um, cost. So I work from a little a little table from Walmart in one of my um, rooms. And that's what I, you know, that's my space to work. And so, I mean, having a studio space would be amazing and just, you know, just really help my practice. Cause like I buy so many materials and they're hard to store. I have bags and bags and bags of jackets and other 
rabbit pelts and other things to store that um, are just kind of all over my house. So on a daily basis, definitely not having a studio space and high rents and, you know, affordable housing is definitely the like everyday um, experience that I have with like an obstacle to my art making for sure. So, Laurie, when we visited your gallery, um, I guess it was a couple of months ago now, um, we met a young artist who was in residence. Does that help to address this issue of a space to, you know, spread out, spread your wings and work? How, how is that a part of your model? It was That was just a very ad hoc moment because we actually had space in our schedule, but we do, in 2022, we have two artist residencies um, set into our schedule. One will take place at Daphne and the other will take place in a, in a, a studio that people have lent to us. But I, absolutely, you know, it's it's the same thing in Montreal as it is in Jujagi as, as it is in Vancouver. Just, you know, artists are in spaces. Um, indigenous artists make less money. Indigenous artists, women artists make less money. And so there's an issue about having space to do your work and, and you know, sort of, the, and the fact that the studio spaces are not, not available as well. It's it's just, the, you know, the the places like that just get gobbled up by gentrification and then they have to move. And so there's all lots of issues like that. So We'll continue to explore these challenges and how you've overcome them and arrived at, you know, this marvelous display that hangs on the wall. It's, it's not just as simple as someone sitting down and doing their work. Um, we'll take a break and be back in a minute. Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Cultural Heritage Center, located near Shawnee, Oklahoma, features 11 immersive galleries with digital and interactive exhibits. Visitors learn about the tribe's history from origin to modern days and gain an understanding of citizen Potawatomi oral traditions and lifeways. Admission is always free. Open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., Saturday 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Visit the Cultural Heritage Center on the web at PotawatomiHeritage.com. Period poverty. If you don't know what it is, you should because you can help. One in four American women struggle to purchase menstruation products this year, resulting in missed school and even loss of income. The Native American women's nonprofit Quek Society cares enough to give Native American students and communities their period products, and they do it across North America. Please help women with your time, donations, or supplies to maintain their dignity and celebrate their strength during moon time. Visit QuekSociety.org. That's K-W-E-K Society. Listen up. The source for information and inspirational items about the struggle and wisdom of indigenous people is the Syracuse Cultural Workers. They are committed to peace, sustainability, social justice, feminism, and multiculturalism, and they create beautiful visual materials like calendars, t-shirts, cards, and more, including their greetings and thanks to the natural world, according to poster that offers daily grounding for our relationship to the earth and its many fellow beings. Get so many wonderful items. Go there now. SyracuseCulturalWorkers.com 
Randy Krakowski's book, Without Reservation, describes his spiritual awakening as a Native American. It's a powerful, life-changing story where Randy shares his journey into the realm of ancestral Native American connections and explores his encounters with Mother Earth. The book actually helps you how to reconnect with your ancestors to rekindle your access to ancestral wisdom and nature. Available in print, ebook, and audiobook format, Get Without Reservation by Randy Krakowski from all major booksellers. For more information, visit Randy Krakowski. Feel you have no control over life? There's something you can do to make a difference for you, your family, and community. Stay positive and take a break from the dark side. Uplifting and enlightening. Listen to the positive side of podcasts. HRNradio.com Welcome back to Indigenous Perspectives. Today we're talking with two guests from the Indigenous art world in Canada, Lori Beavis, Executive Director of Daphne Arts Centre in Montreal, and Michelle Sound, a visual artist who is a member of the Swan River First Nation community. So, Lori, before we switch topics here, I know there are a few things that you wanted to add to our discussion about supporting the arts in general. Why don't you go with that idea? Okay, well, I was just, I just wanted to say that, you know, that, that there are obviously obstacles and there are always issues about funding and things like that. And, and certainly the, the Indigenous arts have always been chronically underfunded. And, but one of the things that happened around Canada 150 in 2017 was that there was a recognition of, of how poorly funded you know, the Indigenous artists, contemporary artists have, have been. And so one of the things that happened was that the Canada Council created uh, Creating, Knowing and Sharing, which is a, um, a program that's directly related and, and, and funds Indigenous art projects um, across the country. And, and also even in Quebec, uh, while there was a little bit of a time lag, they, they, they caught up at the Conseil d'Art and Letters of Quebec, and, um, and there's a, the recognition program program for the, for um, indigenous artists in this province as well so so it sort of has helped um, because it can, you know but one of the things that we still need and is is still there's you know the issue of obstacles in that and it sort of ties into what Daphne's doing as well is that we are a lot of the exhibitions that we do are solo exhibitions because it's very very difficult for people to get solo exhibitions and so it's you know that's a marker of, of recognition it's also a marker of, of, of the career to date whether it's a very young artist like the person that you met Guy Genuro Dumoulin Bush in October or Michelle who's who's sort of more mid-career artist so there's that and um but then, you know, the other thing that continues and needs to continue to happen is that there need to be Indigenous artists and curators and cultural workers on juries in the institutions and in the bigger institutions as well as the small ones. And so that's, you know, that's the, the it's, it's, it's moving forward in a, in a good way, but it just needs to keep moving forward as well. So. Carolyn and I are part-time residents of Montreal. We go back and forth across the border, and the difference in support for the arts in general, not to mention indigenous artists on each side of the border, is absolutely astounding. I, I know there are still obstacles on your side of the border, but what Canada is doing really is a model, and I keep trying to draw attention to it globally, and we do have 
global listeners, you know, who can learn a lot about what's going on in Canada and what is going on. So ever so slightly switch the topic. It's actually building on it. Um, one of the things that, you know, Daphne gallery artists do is to break the mold of, you know, the traditional indigenous arts exhibition, which, you know, we go to a museum and we see beaded moccasins and we see the elk covered drum. Um, and we are told, you know, that's what indigenous art was. Well, that's not exactly what we're seeing when we come to the gallery. So can both of you talk about, you know, the evolution of, of art in a modern world as seen through the eyes of indigenous artists and an indigenous arts gallery manager? I'll, I'll let Michelle speak to this, but of course my first question is always, well, what is traditional? Because like, what is traditional? And that's, you know, the indigenous people have always been very adaptive and very resilient and, and moved and changed in really good ways. And, you know, I think that Michelle's work speaks to that as well and taking the hand drum and making portraits of people through, through the work that she's creating. Yeah, I definitely think of my work as not like, breaking the mold or changing anything it's more of a continuation right it's just indigenous artists indigenous people have always you know embraced new materials um and made it their own for example beadwork that's obviously a post-contact trade material and indigenous people have so made it their own art form right um recognizable and like just beautiful work and everything and it's just that's just an adaption of, you know, using different type of beads and shells and different quill work and different materials that were already existing and just incorporating new materials. And I just think that what I'm doing is a continuation of that, like um, just because it's still the drum form um, and just, you know, using new materials in that. It's just I, I think I'm just continuing, um, you know, a very long tradition of, trying new things. So for indigenous people across the, the world, you know, we've, we did a program on, on, on Mongolian shamanism. Drums are animate. They're not just things, you know, that you mm-hmm. tap on and make a sound that they, they communicate, they open a doorway. So when, when you're making your drums, is there a point at which the drum isn't the thing you're making, but, the drum takes on its own life? Does it talk back to you? Does it guide you? I have, there's a couple different ways um, in the making. One of the things is I, I'm interested in working with drums is because I've always grown up with the um, idea that drums are the heartbeat of the people, right? So when I am making these particular textile drums, one of the things I'm thinking about is, um, Lori touched on this a little bit, is that they are kind of more like portraits. So a lot of the times when I'm sourcing the materials, the specific jackets or the specific fringe or something, I'm thinking of a particular person or it's um, a memory for me, like someone, something I remember from my childhood or sparks a memory about, um, about someone that's been important to me. And so I think of the drums already as being like, they're very animate. They're people to me. They represent these people. And so 
Um, that is definitely part of it. And then in the making of the drum, I, I often think about my Japan and my cooking when they would, um, process the, like, um, harvest and process the, um, rabbit furs and how they would do it was, um, wrapping the sinew around the, the pelt around four sticks tied together, right? Like how they would do, um, deer or, you know, the head circular ones for beaver, but it was the same little mini version of that. And I think of that when I make the drums, because I do a similar thing, except around the, it's not the, the four sticks tied together, it's around a drum frame. And so I do a similar motion of wrapping the sinew around the fur and then wrapping it around a frame. And so I think of them a lot when I, I'm doing that similar hand motion and I just feel like connected to them in that way. So for me, it's definitely not just just an object. Thank you. This is a, a marvelous description. I've rarely had an artist explain so wonderfully and lucidly the actual process of creation. And, you know, you're in a sense sort of recapitulating, um, you know, a, a very traditional process of, of creating something. You're, you're making it come alive for our listeners. We'll take a break and be back in a minute. Located near Shawnee, Oklahoma, citizen Potawatomi Nation is Potawatomi County's largest employer with a rich history and culture as a sovereign native nation. Learn more about CPN by visiting its website, which includes information on services for members, tribal enterprises, government and constitution, the newspaper, and much more. All at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Randy Krakowski's book, Without Reservation, describes his spiritual awakening as a Native American. It's powerful, life-changing story where Randy shares his journey into the realm of ancestral Native American connections and explores his encounters with Mother Earth. The book actually helps you how to reconnect with your ancestors to rekindle your access to ancestral wisdom and nature. Available in print, ebook, and audiobook format, Get Without Reservation by Randy Krakowski from all major booksellers. For more information, visit Randy Krakowski. Since 1975, Inner Traditions has been publishing books for the healing and spiritual journey. Their mission is to rediscover, preserve, and protect these spiritual traditions of the world so that humanity will forever have the tools to create a better future that will celebrate and heal the earth. Inner Traditions books, card decks, and other products are available wherever books, ebooks, and audiobooks are sold. Or visit innertradition.com's online bookstore. And while you're there, sign up for their free newsletter to receive special offers. That's innertraditions.com. Period poverty. If you don't know what it is, you should because you can help. One in four American women struggle to purchase menstruation products this year, resulting in missed school and even loss of income. The Native American women's nonprofit, Quek Society, cares enough to give Native American students and communities their period products, and they do it across North America. Please help women with your time, donations, or supplies to maintain their dignity and celebrate their strength during moon time. Visit QuekSociety.org. That's K-W-E-K Society. Don't get angry. Anger is a negative emotion that suppresses your immune system that may cause health problems. Make a positive difference by working together to protect and support your family, friends, and community. Take a break from the dark side. 
uplifting, and enlightening. Listen to the Positive Side of Podcasts, hrnradio.com. Welcome back to Indigenous Perspectives, talking with Lori Beavis and Michelle Sound about the Indigenous women's art world in Canada in particular. So we've touched on the whole issue of Indigenous women in the world of art and Indigenous art, but I think there's a lot to be gained by digging a bit more deeply into this topic. Can you two reflect on, again, your experiences, your perspectives and your aspirations? Um, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, I just think that in, in terms of, of, of being a cultural worker in, in, as an indigenous um, slash settler uh, woman, um, I think that there's, there's, there's role models in my personal life and there's certainly role models in, 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 the, in my cultural life as well. And I'm just, you know, I, I think about the women that I've had a chance to work with, uh, Shelley Nero and Lori Blondeau. And um, there's just among, you know, two of many. And, and just to think about those, the, the contribution that those women have made to, to Indigenous, contemporary Indigenous art. And, you know, again, speaking to the idea of self-representation, um, is just is is extraordinary and wonderful, and um, you know, Lori Blondeau continues. To, Michelle and Lori are in an exhibition together in Vancouver right now as well, and uh, so there's you know there's always that sort of cross generational thing, cross cultural thing as well, and across territories and nations, and so there's really interesting things can come out of that as well, and um, you know, Michelle, why, why don't you pick up and talk about your joint um, exhibition. That's an interesting topic. Yeah, I was um, asked by the Grunt Gallery in Vancouver if I would be interested in having an exhibition with Laurie Blondeau, and I was just like jaw on the floor. Like, of course I would be interested. Laurie Blondeau is like one of my art heroes and has been, you know, since I was in an undergrad um, student and just I just love her work. It was so um, important and informative to me that being in the art exhibition with her is amazing. And it's a video work performance of hers. And then I have a series of um, uh, deadly anti-drums on the wall. And I really like, yeah, that it's, you know, is, um, you know, across generations and just me having, having a conversation with someone who's been so important to my own work. I consider Lori like one of my art aunties. Um, she's always been really nice to talk to. We don't live in the same city or anything, but like she's very has been very open to like um, getting messages from me that are about like how do you handle this artist mom life? How do you do a residency when you've got kids and stuff like that? So she's been just like such such an important person to my practice. And I have other art aunties as well that are really great at offering feedback and stuff. Um, Dana Claxton. Um, you know, I just have so many Indigenous um, women artists that I look up to. Shelley Nero um, is another one. Rebecca Belmore, just artists who really pave the way. Like, I don't exist without those artists. Like, they they are super important to my practice. And I know 
like among my peers and like the younger generation, these are all the artists that we look up to and are inspired by. So the subject matter that these women are, are indulging in is not indulging, but, you know, working within the context of is just so amazing. You think about Rebecca Belmore and the way that she is talked about and, and performed uh, um, in, in terms of th- speaking to indigenous women who are missing and murdered. Mm-hmm. And, and that is just, and that again speaks to what I said earlier about the idea that through art we can enter into these difficult conversations and, and learn, and, you, and people who are viewers and visitors to exhibitions and seeing this work by these amazing women artists are just the, the, their knowledge, they gain knowledge from, from that. And, and because, and the other great thing about art, of course, is that it's such an easy way to enter into a conversation and to, and, and, you know, so the material is there, is presented to people. And then I've also, you know, part of the work that I do again is I feel very strongly that by situating the art in such a way and people come and visit it and then it's up to them to go and and find out whose territory they are on to learn the histories and to ask good questions and to and to and to listen to good you know listen listen well to the answers as well so so it's it's all part of a, a learning process and uh and you know the the red dress project uh, Jamie Isaacs I think was the artist who started that um just needs, you know, just, it was, it was like a flag. It was a, a way for people to sort of, you know, start to be able to talk about these issues that have been part of the community for a really long time and, and was really important for them to come to a larger audience to, for people to be able to start to make recognition. Can, can one of you explain what the Red Dress Project is for our listeners? I mean, it has incredibly high profile in Canada and we've heard about it in the United oh. States. Well, we, we saw the video, but it's when we were in Montreal. So explaining about it, I think, would be really good. Uh, it started out with uh, with the, the artist deciding that that she wanted to make red dresses, collect red dresses, and make them visible in public spaces. And I don't know, maybe you know Michelle for sure, but I don't know whether it was that the dresses hung originally from a from places where women had gone missing. But but certainly that's the idea that they. No, okay, sorry, pardon me. Um, do you want do you want to speak? To no, it? but they're definitely they're hung in um, public spaces, and you can see them. Like I've seen them just driving around. Like some people have hung them from trees in their yard or on their fences or um, downtown spaces, and just it represents um, like a red dress represents like an indigenous woman that has um, gone missing or been murdered and so it just makes them visible that you know it's a person right so it's really important and powerful in that way and so yeah there's a lot of um it's raised a lot of awareness I've I've seen them in places that I did not expect to see them um so it yeah really important work and there's I've seen other artworks that are um you know reference that or are inspired by that and of course um Rebecca did an incredibly important piece where she was wearing a red dress and nailed, not her, so I think her sister, and nailed it to um, a telephone pole and had to rip herself out of the dress. So it's just, it's a really important, um, you know, visual representation of the women. 
what what's coming through and it's it's wonderfully strong message you know in our program so far is how indigenous artists are using you know various art forms be they performance art you know or 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 making drums to deliver you know really really strong messages about what it means to be an indigenous person and you know I like the way Michelle's art balances the equation because very often we hear about um you know the victimhood which unfortunately continues to be a huge part of indigenous life for indigenous women but to flip that and make it affirmative you know and put the drums on the wall is so bold and i have to say you know, it strikes me as 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 courageous and you know, i i want to personally thank you for doing that Let's take a break, and we'll come back for the final segment in a minute. Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Cultural Heritage Center, located near Shawnee, Oklahoma, features 11 immersive galleries with digital and interactive exhibits. Visitors learn about the tribe's history from origin to modern days and gain an understanding of citizen Potawatomi oral traditions and lifeways. Admission is always free. Open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., Saturday 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Visit the Cultural Heritage Center on the web at PotawatomiHeritage.com. Period poverty. If you don't know what it is, you should because you can help. One in four American women struggle to purchase menstruation products this year, resulting in missed school and even loss of income. The Native American women's nonprofit Quek Society cares enough to give Native American students and communities their period products, and they do it across North America. Please help women with your time, donations, or supplies to maintain their dignity and celebrate their strength during moon time. Visit QuekSociety.org. That's K-W-E-K Society. Listen up. The source for information and inspirational items about the struggle and wisdom of indigenous people is the Syracuse Cultural Workers. They are committed to peace, sustainability, social justice, feminism, and multiculturalism, and they create beautiful visual materials like calendars, t-shirts, cards, and more, including their greetings and thanks to the natural world, according to poster that offers daily grounding for our relationship to the earth and its many fellow beings. Get so many wonderful items. Go there now. SyracuseCulturalWorkers.com Randy Krakowski's book, Without Reservation, describes his spiritual awakening as a Native American. It's powerful, life-changing story where Randy shares his journey into the realm of ancestral Native American connections and explores his encounters with Mother Earth. The book actually helps you how to reconnect with your ancestors to rekindle your access to ancestral wisdom and nature. Available in print, ebook, and audiobook format, Get Without Reservation by Randy Krakowski from all major booksellers. For more information, visit Randy Krakowski. Where positive people and radio unite. HealthyLife.net Welcome back to Indigenous Perspectives for our final segment with Lori Beavis and Michelle Sound. So we're curious to know how the public has viewed, you know, this particular show. 
um, and perhaps others. Lori, why don't you lead off and talk about how people respond standing there looking at the art? I think people, well, of course, because of the fact that they, each of the drums are, are covered, um, and 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 many of them are in these absolutely gorgeous pastel-colored uh, rabbit furs, um, people say, "Can I touch?" And it's like, mm, "Sorry, no." <laughs> but but you can look at the way that the air vent is making this one in particular move a little bit. Um, but it's been it's been lovely. It's it, you know it's it's the it's the perfect antidote to a really cold January, February into Jogge is to uh, come in and see, you know, this delightful and, and you know, work that is, as we said, like a, uh, each individual piece is like a portrait of, of a person or um, and holds a memory of somebody. And so that's really great. And we, you know, it's, Despite the cold, we've had a really nice number of people coming in, and and that's really lovely. We've had a little bit of press coverage. We've had great press coverage. We've had great response to Daphne generally since we opened our doors in May, and um, you know it's it's generally people write really intelligently and really sensitively about the work, and with a, with a growing understanding of what it is um, in terms of you know what Indigenous art is. And contemporary work is is trying to sort of what message it's trying to have and give out, and so um, you know people generally about Daphne are people are very happy to be that we're here and they're very encouraging of us being here and and to see you know us here in January and open and um, and, and with this exhibition that's just been really really lovely. So Michelle, you you have an an interesting take on this, which is truly contemporary COVID Zoom. Why don't you give us your feedback on how people are responding? Yeah, so I am not in Montreal, um, and so I don't get to be in the space while while it was open to the public. Um, so one of the responses I've had was just installing it when I was there and hanging it up, and the bright colors um, were really attracting people walking by. Like, people were popping their head in. Um, and stopping to look while I was installing because they were drawn to the colors. And I was like, that's a really nice um, response to see before the show's even up and before people can even, you know, walk in. Um, but for me, a lot of the response has been on social media. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of my work I post on Instagram and Facebook. And um, so that has been where a lot of positive response has been. Um Especially when I first started making the drums, like I made the first textile drum in January 2021. And it's such a weird time because it's COVID and you can't see anyone. And, you know, the, I didn't know when or if the works were ever going to be in an exhibition anytime soon. And so I just kind of posted the first denim drum on Instagram and was just kind of like thinking, you know, you don't know what the response is going to be. Like, are people going to be like, what is this? What did you do? Like, that's that's not okay or whatever. Um, and the response was, like, so incredibly positive. People were just, like, writing the best comments and just saying things like, I'm obsessed with this and this is incredible. And it was, like, so nice and encouraging to hear when you're, you know, making something and there's no other way to get any feedback. So I, as I was making them, I would just post them up on Facebook, um, on Instagram and, you know, just 
just incredible comments. People were just so excited by them. And so, um, yeah, it's really nice, too, that they've opened in Vancouver and, you know, people can actually see them in real life now. And I get tagged a lot on Instagram. Like, people will post stories or tag me in the post. I've had a couple from Daphne as well where people are in the gallery and they post um, that they're there and stuff. So that has been the way for me to connect with audiences that are going to the gallery in a way that probably wasn't possible before. And so that has been really, just really nice to see, like so heartwarming, like when they tag me and there's little hearts in the posts and everything. And I'm just like, Oh, thank you so much. So it's a great way to connect for sure. And certainly one of the things that Daphne's, you know, trying to do is where we're, we're, you know, we're, 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 contacting artists and, and having we, a lot of our the first three exhibitions that we did were Quebec-based artists but now Michelle's come from British Columbia and we've got artists coming from different territories and nations across the the the, the country and so it's really so people it will be really nice for people to be able to come into to Daphne in Montreal and and see work from places that they may not have been able may not be able to travel to and and mm-hmm. and bring artists here that that may not have ever shown in Quebec or or, so it's really that's you know that's one of the things that we're really really proud of being able to do. One of the issues we've been struggling with all of us in our society is you know meeting virtually but you're describing sort of an upside of social media and things like Zoom which (laughs) is you know the the territory of the audience gets expanded but also so does their you know, their response mode. I know for me, when I look at a piece of art, very often it's a day later or two days later or a week later that it, you know, begins to, to sink in. Do, do you get those kinds of sort of reflective responses to the show? I think one of the wonderful things about the, the fact that we're in a, we're in a neighborhood where, um, so there's, and it's, and it's a sort of very interestingly mixed uh, residential and retail space, street that we're on as well. And so, um, so the people, people pop in because they're on their way to shop or whatever. Um, what the, one of the other things that Daphne, we've, we've made this decision at Daphne to do is to actually have longer running exhibitions as well. So most generally our exhibitions are about 10 weeks in length and which is sort of outside the norm. And, and what, the, what the intention is that people can come see the exhibition, you know, if we'd had an opening, they could have come to the opening and then, but, um, but come and see the exhibition, go away, as you said, Randy, reflect on it, reflect on what they saw, and then come back for another visit, bring a different friend with them or whatever. And so, so that's, you know, that's really, there's a really a, a, a nice feeling in that people don't have to see it like just once and it's over and it's gone and they'll never see it again, but they can, they can come back and forth and, and, uh, and visit us again and again. So. Well, thank, thank you both for, for what you're doing. It's, it's, it's really refreshing and encouraging to, to hear about this. And we're looking forward, you know, to actually, you know, seeing Michelle's art on the wall. Okay. So we want to thank our two guests, Michelle Sound, visual artist, member of the Swan River First Nation, a Cree nation from Western Canada, and Lori Beavis, Executive Director of Daphne Arts Centre in Montreal. Daphne's website is https double right slash Daphne, D-A-P-H-N-E dot art. We'll also have a link to it from 
the transcript for this show. I hope this broadcast is giving you time and space to reconnect with your roots and Mother Earth and with your ancestral roots as well. Before your busy day distracts you from this moment, I encourage you to take a few minutes to reach out and feel the presence of living flora and fauna and perhaps even that of your ancestors or in this particular case, you know, Michelle's aunties and ancestors. Allow yourself to touch their presence, capture the moment and hold on to it. And also, if you will, write to me and let me know about your experience. I can be contacted through my website at randykrakowski.com, where you can also find transcripts, printed transcripts, and supplemental materials for all Indigenous Perspectives shows. Thank you. Thank you all. Located near Shawnee, Oklahoma, citizen Potawatomi Nation is Potawatomi County's largest employer with a rich history and culture as a sovereign native nation. Learn more about CPN by visiting its website, which includes information on services for members, tribal enterprises, government and constitution, the newspaper, and much more. All at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Randy Krakowski's book, Without Reservation, describes his spiritual awakening as a Native American. It's a powerful, life-changing story where Randy shares his journey into the realm of ancestral Native American connections and explores his encounters with Mother Earth. The book actually helps you how to reconnect with your ancestors to rekindle your access to ancestral wisdom and nature. Available in print, ebook, and audiobook format, Get Without Reservation by Randy Krakowski from all major booksellers. For more information, visit Randy Krakowski. Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Cultural Heritage Center, located near Shawnee, Oklahoma, features 11 immersive galleries with digital and interactive exhibits. Visitors learn about the tribe's history from origin to modern days and gain an understanding of citizen Potawatomi oral traditions and lifeways. Admission is always free. Open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., Saturday 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Visit the Cultural Heritage Center on the web at PottawatomieHeritage.com. Remember, help for a positive life. www.healthylife.net